your study. Father, I thank you for the morning. I thank you for the beautiful weather. Um, just the joy that it is. I thank you for allowing us to live in a beautiful place. And Father, may we uh, acknowledge that you are the creator, that you are a God of beauty, um, and that you are creative. And that as we enjoy nature, whether it's through something like the men's hike or simply just enjoying the place that we live, that we would acknowledge you and recognize that you are the giver of good things. And please be with us now as we look uh, at your word, specifically in Hebrews, that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, if you would. Flip there or click there. We're going to be looking specifically um, at a small portion of text within a larger portion of text, and I would like for you to be able to actually look at it instead of just hear it. Um, So even if you're sitting by somebody, if you don't have um, a Bible or a Bible app, I hope that you'll be able to look at it, get a better handle of what uh, what we're doing here. All right. Now, if you're here every week, you kind of hear a similar recap because we're going through the book of Hebrews. And I think it's always a good idea to just do a quick little recap to make sure that we're all on the same page. And that way, if you haven't been here for a couple weeks, it's not a problem. All right. But the book of Hebrews is in the New Testament and it was written to a group of believers. So it's not necessarily evangelistic in that sense, but it's written to a group of people who had accepted Christ as their savior Um, yet they had found themselves in a place of life where they were really losing steam, that they were kind of backing off, that they were actually almost considering other things, uh, like other religions, and and going back to things like Judaism, which they had been converted out of. And the author of Hebrews is writing to them to encourage them in the gospel. Hebrews is a very encouraging book because it just talks a whole lot about Jesus and what he's done. Uh, But the author is also writing to them um, to not only encourage them, uh, but to remind them. Because a huge point of encouragement is just reminding. Remember this. Remember what you've been through. Remember the thing that you believe in. Remember what Christ did for us on the cross and why it's important. But thirdly, he's also writing to them to warn them. Because it's not one of those things where he's talking to a group of believers and he's just saying, Come on, you can do it. You can do it. But he's also throwing caution, saying... If you slip unchecked, it will lead you to dark and dangerous places. And there is great caution to be had here. Um, Even to the point of wondering if you were even uh, converted in the first place. So there are several different, very specific, very direct warnings written to believers, or at least people who claim to be believers, about why they need to be pursuing Christ wholeheartedly and that they don't need to be slipping. And if they do slip, they need to make sure that they're checking themselves and picking themselves back up and putting themselves on the right road because of what Christ has done for us. So that's kind of the overview of the book of Hebrews. We are in Hebrews chapter um, 8. And what we've been doing uh, is we've we've had a uh, kind of a three-part mini-series, if you will, because we've been looking at a, at, a, at a larger chunk of Scripture. Because the author of Hebrews, he knows who he's writing to. He, he's very clear on his audience, and he knows that they were uh, formerly um, uh, Jews. I mean, they're still <laughs> nationalistically Jews, all right? but they participated in the temple worship and all those things. Um, so he knows that they know the Old Testament. 
And so what he's doing here in Hebrews chapter 8 is he's quoting a section of the book of Jeremiah and using it as a further proof uh, to the gospel and why it's important, why they need to be reminded of it, why they need to be encouraged of it, and why they need to be warned not to slip away from it. So what we see in the book of Hebrews is there's a common theme. And that theme could be summed up in one word, better. All right? If you would, look at Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. It says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. And this theme goes over and over and over. And I don't know how many times the word better shows up in the book of Hebrews, but it's many. And um, words like better when he says it's more excellent than the old. So we see this recurring. Flip forward to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. An earthly place of holiness. And what we talked about the first week is how this text talks about a better tent. And it talks about the old tabernacle and why it was important and why God established it and how it fit into the Mosaic law and the Mosaic covenant and how there were rules and, 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 and regulations and how specifically you interacted with God. And that God, at this point in time, decided that he was going to manifest himself in a specific place, and it was within the tent. So if you were going to meet with God, it involved the tent. All right? These are Old Testament times. And God chose at that point to have his presence made known in the tent. And so there's a better tent. And we talked about that um, a couple weeks ago. If you would flip in uh, again in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. It says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So last week we talked about how the second of three betters is that there is a better blood. All right, so we're not going to go back and review all of that because we talked about it last week, but that the law that God established required the shedding of blood because of sin. And that what Jesus Christ did is by his shedding of blood offered a better eternal redemption. So there's a better blood. Now finally, if you'd flip to uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Hebrews 10, verse 14. It says, For by a single offering, he, meaning Jesus, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. For all time. And so what we see is the third part of the better is that it is better forever. Now I wanted to jump around in this text because Hebrews chapter 8 uh, that quotes Jeremiah 31 actually goes through and is, uh, the author is providing commentary on this Old Testament text to prove his point. All right, so I want to kind of jump around and show that, hey, the theme here is better. And we talked about how there's a better tent, there's better blood, and there's better forever. So today, what we're going to talk about is better forever. So that is the direction 
of what we're looking at here in the text. So what I want us to do is we're going to kind of camp out on specifically the Old Testament quotation that the author has, which starts at Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8. All right? So Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8. It says, for he, and this is referring to God the Father, for he finds fault with them when he says, quote, all right, here's the beginning of the quotation. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. We have two sections of this quote, all right? And so I want to play with this quote here. And if you, want to, if you have a pen and you want to mark this up, I would, I would encourage you to do that. You don't have to. But I want us to look at this quote and see that there, at first there are two sections, okay? The first section is verses 8 and 9, all right? It says... Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant. That's the point of this quote. All right, this happened in like 650 B.C. The book of Hebrews was written first century A.D. All right, the book was written by the prophet Jeremiah. It says here, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Well, why are there two houses? Well, because the nation of Israel was just in just sick deep sin. They had left the covenant. It says so right here, and we can see that all throughout the Old Testament. But we're talking about stuff like child sacrifice and cult prostitutes. I mean, just the base level uh, uh, reckless abandonment of the law. Okay? Uh, we're not talking about eh, you know, I'm, not, I'm just not really going for it. I didn't have my quiet time this morning. We're talking about, I mean, The ultimate judgment, okay? And so what happened was the nation of Israel uh, split, and there were, there were, there were two. And they, one was called Israel, and one was called Judah, and, and uh, Judah ended up being exiled because they got taken over by um, the Chaldeans. There you go. Um, and then uh, um, Israel got exiled um, to Babylon. We talked about the book of Daniel several months ago. Uh, it was all part of, part, part of the judgments. Uh, and, and God says very clearly, obey my commands, and if you don't, um, judgment will fall. And they did it, and, and judgment fell. And so there's these two nations, and the prophet Jeremiah is saying, a new day is coming. In spite of, of this mess, one day there will be a new day, a new day coming. That's, he's, a pro, he's a prophet. All right? He's prophesying. So a new covenant is coming. Verse 9. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So we see here clearly that this is talking about the Mosaic covenant or the law. All right, those two are interchangeable. 
They did not continue in my covenant, and so I show no concern for them, declares the Lord, period. All right, that's, that's the first section of two in this text. The second section um, is a little bit more uh, poetic, if you will. And the second section has two clauses. Now, I don't want to, I'm not trying to be confusing here, right? but we're going to focus on the second section, all right? Because the first section is very clearly, it's like, there's a new covenant coming because you broke the old one, all right? There's a new covenant coming because you broke the old one endlessly, all right? And then the second part says, and the new covenant is, and then describes it. Make sense? All right, so here's the quote, two halves to the quote. One says there's a new coming. Uh, the second is, this is what it will look like. And there's two things. Verse 10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, after those days declares the Lord. All right, so he's saying this is what it's going to look like. I will put my law, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. Jump down to verse 11. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. These two statements, though they don't come in order, are related. Do you see that? I will put my laws, all right, his commands, I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. Verse 11, and, and what are those things? Those are the things that you know, that you learn, that you teach. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. That's the first clause. The second clause starts with the second half of verse 10. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. And then jump down to verse 12. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Once again, the second clause is the second half of verse 10. that says, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And then verse 12 is related to it. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. So now that we kind of see the pattern or the breakdown of this Old Testament quote, um, I want us to, to look at these specifically. And there's some really cool stuff here. So if we look at the first clause, and I'll put my laws in their, on their minds and write them on their hearts, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. We're going to look at that one first. Now, one of the recurring themes that we've been talking about in this class, especially as we deal with this specific topic, is that in order to have any sort of understanding of what the new covenant is and what it's designed to be and why it's important, is it's really important to know what the old covenant was. I mean, if you don't know what the old covenant was and all you have is the new covenant, then it might be like, okay, well, that's, that's kind of cool. But it's, 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 it's very important for us to understand the foundation that all of this is built on. So, with that in mind, I want us to look quickly at Exodus 24. Exodus 24, verse 3. Exodus, second book of the Bible, 24, verse 3. It says, Moses came and told the people all the words the Lord, excuse me, all the words of the Lord and all the rules. All right, this is the law. And all the people answered with one voice 
and said, All the words of the law that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. So God gave Moses the law. Moses gave the law to the people, and he wrote them down on scrolls and tablets. And we have them in the Old Testament. How many of you have ever attempted uh, reading through the whole Bible? Okay. How many of you have ever gotten bogged down in, like, Leviticus? You know, you're like, I don't have that disease, you know? (laughs) You know? (laughs) And, like, I I need to go where, you know, to go to the bathroom outside the camp? And uh, it's it's a broad range of of types of sacrifices, uh, cleanliness, um, offerings. There's grain offerings. There's blood offerings. There's aromatic offerings. There's how the temple is uh, handled how the priests are handled, how you are handled at different points in your life for different uh, sins. I mean, it's, it's not just the Ten Commandments etched on a tablet, all right? We see pages and pages, and those are not just available to us. They were available to them. And so, when the people said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do, was a pretty significant commitment. All right? But it was an acknowledgement that God has given this to us, and therefore we will do it as an act of obedience. Now what I want to do, uh, flip to Deuteronomy chapter 6, is I want to try to get us in our mindset kind of in the zone of what it would have been like in the Old Testament times as the children of Israel to receive the word of the Lord and know what the expectation was to obey it. Now, I'm going to speak for myself, and I hope that this will, this will be a little freeing for you, okay? But I've been in church my entire life, and as a result of that, there's something that I, I've not ever purposefully done or intended to do, but even as a 36-year-old man, when I sit in church and somebody reads Scripture, it's almost like my mind my mind drifts until he comes back to like teaching about whatever he's teaching about, if that makes any sense. Now you might be like, Danny, you're a pagan. <laughs> you know, why do you do those things? And I, I don't know, but I have a tendency to allow my mind to drift sometimes when just the word, like, hey, let's look and see what the Bible has to say. I'm like, okay, I'm sure I've read that before. Let's come back to the maybe more practical application, which is a wrong response for me. But what I want to do is I want to read... Deuteronomy chapter 6, and it's a fairly lengthy text, but I want us to get into the mental zone of what it would have been like if we were these people. Does everybody understand? I'm reading from the ESV. Whenever I watch a movie and I find myself in my mind in the plot of the movie, it gets better. I know you've done that before, okay? When you feel the situation, you know, you might feel the angst or you might feel the fear or you might feel the joy because you're, you're in the zone. You're, like, you're feeling what they're feeling. And so I want us to read this that way. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I'm going to read this whole chapter. This is the children of Israel and part of the commands that were given to them when they were given the law. Now this is the commandment. All right, imagine that this was read to you. Now this is the commandment. The statutes and the rules that the Lord God has commanded, and he's commanded me to teach, to teach them to you, that you may do them in the land 
to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all the statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply, multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Pause. Remember that they are a people with no land. They have no cities. They don't have a capital. Right? They don't have a house that is theirs to go to. They're wandering in the desert at this point, and they have tents, and they were just released from slavery, right, where they were beaten to death. All right, this is the situation, and God says, you follow my commandments, I'll give you what? The promised land, all right, that you will be a people, a recognizable people with borders. Verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, your might. Verse 6, and these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and you shall be as, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your, for, your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of the good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God that you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst, and he is a jealous God. Unless the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Pause. It's part of what he did during the exile. You know? He kicked them out of the land. They, they destroyed the walls of their cities. They sowed the fields with salt. They took them out of the land. They became exiles later as a result of them not obeying the word of the Lord. Verse 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord has swore to give you and to your fathers, by thrusting out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in, time to, in times to come, what is the meaning of this testimony and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out of there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes. 
to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are to this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Um, does this seem heavy at all? That there is a there's a promise, there's the law that you must keep, and there's a theme here of continually telling people, reminding people, teaching people, your children, your children's children. When my son comes to me and says this, then you shall tell him, you shall remind him, you shall do this over and over. In the Old Covenant, there's a burden on the people to address their sin and their relationship with God through the written law. Why? First of all, because we are sinful. They were sinful. That is a problem. That is a significant problem. Sin is a broken relationship with God, and the root of all sin is what? The root of sin. It's pride. You can boil all sin down to pride. Lucifer, as an angel, became proud and said, I want these things that that God has. He was cast out of heaven. Adam and Eve in the garden. I, I want that fruit. I want to be to see as God sees. I want those things. It's pride. You know? You got things that we might call little, like gossip or lust. Stealing. It, it's all I want that. I, I want to talk bad about that part. I want to be elevated. I want to satisfy my urges at this moment. I I I, I me 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 me. And the, the, the thing about pride, the dangerous thing about pride is that you, you don't see yourself clearly because you're proud, and you're proud, and you're proud, and I'm proud, and Lauren's proud. We're all, we all have sin problems, and because we have sin problems, that means we have a pride problem, and God knows that. Psalm 36, 36.2 says that in his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or to hate his own sin, that we flatter ourselves so much that we can't even see our problem. And that's a problem, isn't it? Like sin is a problem. And then the problem of the problem is that you can't see the problem. And so what God did was he wrote the law. We talked last week about the law. And we said that God has established himself as being good. We saw that in the garden. We unpacked that a little bit. And we asked a simple question, why why is God good or, or what makes God good, and that God is a giver of, of really two things, life and blessing, right? God is a giver of life, and he is the giver of blessings. Every good and perfect gift is from above, okay? If you look at the law, the law is from God saying, this is how you get to me. Well, what is God? God is good. What does God give? Life and blessing. So the law is the road to life and blessing. He said, this is how you get to me. This, these are my rules that I am establishing because I am God and you are not. And we talked about how this relationship between the children of Israel and God 
or the relationship between you and God is not like a relationship between you and somebody that you're dating. You're just trying to figure them out. You know, you're not just trying to figure out God's love language. You know, how do I best relate to him? How do I know his nuances? He doesn't work that way. He says concretely, definitively, this is who I am, this is what I'm about, and this is what I give, and this is the only way to me. Okay? I am God, and we talked about how when Moses met God at the burning bush, God told him, you are standing on hollowed ground. This is holy. You take your shoes off here because you're dealing with me. And that's why in the Holy of Holies, inside the tents, if you had a blemish on you, if you had sin on you, you would die because that was the place where God was. And it wasn't one of those things where you entered into the tent and you think, eh, I think I'm okay. Or, you know, hey, are we good, God? No. He said, you can know if you're good with me if you look at the law and say, have I done this? If yes, then you can approach my presence. If no, you will die. So if you break the law, which is the path to life and blessing, what's the result? Death and curse. All right? it's, it's very simple. It, it's very clear. It's not a, eh, you shouldn't have done it that way. No, the law was broken. You broke the law. And when you break the law, there's a judgment. What the law did, because we are sinful people, is that it, it provided a way for you to be right with God. The Old Covenant was a mirror for you to check yourself and see, am I right with God? Imagine this. All right, this is a little example. Imagine that you have lost all sense of feeling. I'm talking physically, not emotionally. All right, That you can't feel pain, that you can't feel um, if your shirt sleeve is, is, is down to your wrist or not. Uh, it, it just lost all feeling. It would be very dangerous for you. It would be dangerous in, in a couple different ways. One, um, it would be unhealthy because you could, might cut yourself uh, maybe seriously and it would, it would be out of control. You know, it could get infected and if you don't address it, uh, but if you, don't, if you don't feel that stuff. You know, another, another element is, is cleanliness. You know, we've all been in that situation where you just feel dirty, right? You went for a long run or you worked in the yard and it's just like, Ugh, I gotta have a shower, you know. But if you can't feel that sometimes, then sometimes you know you just might get an infection somewhere just from being unclean. What the law did was it allowed a system because you had no no feeling because pride disallows you to see your own sin so often. What the law did was it it provided a system for you to say I'm gonna go through the system and make sure I'm clean, make sure I'm not wounded, make sure I'm not bleeding. Make sure that I'm all good. Have I gone through it? Check, check. I've checked my feet. Good. Okay, I've checked the backside of my knees. Good. I've checked everywhere. Good. Do I have a, a flesh wound in the back of my head? Good. I mean, there was one time I was playing around doing student ministry. I had pants on, and we were playing airsoft. And I hit my leg on a log. And it was one of those things where you're like, ah. you know, you kind of rub it really fast. And you're like, okay, well, that hurt, but whatever. It didn't hurt that bad. Um, but I didn't know that it hit right, right in the shin and split, all right? And, I mean, I looked down, and my shoe was red uh, with blood. I mean, it looked gory, you know? But it was one of those things where, like, I, I hurt myself, 
but it, it didn't feel that bad. You know, I looked at it, I was like, ah, I, uh, ah, you know. It, it didn't look that bad, but it was, you know, but it was. And if I would have let that go, it would have been a problem, all right? So the law provided a system, because we can't see this in ourselves, to be able to check yourself to make sure that you're right before God. Therefore, because of this, you had to keep going back to the law. Do you see this? You had to keep going back to the law. You had to teach your kids. This is why you go back to the law. You teach your kids' kids. This is why you go back to the law. You have to write it on your doorpost, all right? Because you have to go back to the law. You have to go back to the law. You have to go back to the law. Now, if we look back at the first clause of this quote, all right? Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. The first clause says, I will put my laws into, your, into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. Think about this, what we've just read. We have the law with all these stipulations that you have to go back to. And it says, but the new law is different in this way. Well, what is it? I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. The new covenant, the new law that is introduced here is God's new way to communicate with his people. It's like he has given them the sense of feeling. All right? If you don't have the sense of feeling and you have to go through the system to check yourself, what's the best thing to solve that problem? If you've been given the sense of feeling, right? So you no longer have to go through the system. Check left foot, check right foot, check this, check that, check this, check that. Check, 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 check all the way. It would be so much easier if you just suddenly had the sense of feeling and it's like, oh, I've hurt myself. I can specifically address that and move on. Wouldn't that be the, the best situation ever? It says that I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts, meaning that they were not written on their hearts before. All right. So if God's law is not written on your heart, yet you have the law, then it demands a physical reminder, which means you had to physically be told or read over and over and over and over. And then you had to teach the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. But God is saying there is a new covenant. And this new covenant is like a, a sense of feeling has been introduced to you now. And it is written on your heart. And so the second part of this clause that says, and they shall not teach their neighbor and shall not teach their brother. It's not a negative saying that they're disregarding people. But it's saying they already know. They already know these things. Because they have it written on their hearts. And this happens through the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verse 16. John 14, verse 16. Flip there. John 14, 16 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit, capital S, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus Christ is saying that the Holy Spirit will come to you, those who believe, and will dwell, not in the tent anymore, 
but will dwell in the tent which is now your body, that God himself will write his commands on your heart and put it in your minds. Jump forward in John 14 to verse 26. It says, but the helper, capital H, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you, thus discounting the old law. You don't have to flip there, but Galatians chapter 5, verse 18 says that if you are led by the Spirit, you are no longer under the law. You see how these connect? If you are led by the Holy Spirit, meaning if God has written these things on your heart, and God the Holy Spirit has indwelled you, which he has said he will do when you accept him as Savior, that you no longer are under the law. You don't have to go through the system anymore. These are good things. To be led by the Spirit, to follow the Spirit, to be taught by the Spirit, is a theological term that we call sanctification. That is the process of the believer that is following the Holy Spirit. And you only follow the Holy Spirit when he is leading you. You only are taught, you only learn from the Holy Spirit when he teaches you. And when he is indwelled in you, he takes you through this process of sanctification. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, says this. And by that will, meaning the gospel of Jesus Christ, by that will we have been sanctified. All right, look at the words have been, past tense. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we have been sanctified. Through the offering of the body Jesus Christ, the body of Jesus Christ, what? Once and for all. That there's an eternal element here. That there is a forever element here. That when you are led by the Holy Spirit, another term for that is sanctification. Flip forward to verse 14. It says, For by a single offering, he, meaning Jesus, has perfected. For all time, again, this recurring theme of forever, those who are being sanctified. All right, so there's a past tense of being sanctified. There's a present tense of those of us who are being sanctified. And then flip back to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. That has a future sense. It says this, verse 27 and just as it is appointed for man to die once, meaning that this is just as certain as your death, what is the most certain thing in all of the earth that we will die? Verse 27, for just as it is as appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those, look at this last statement, who are eagerly waiting for him. This is a statement that is not saying those people who are twiddling their fingers, looking at the sky, saying, I'm ready, Lord Jesus. Eagerly waiting for him means that you are pursuing a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit is in you and his law is written on your heart and you are pursuing him. You are being taught by him. You are following him. So eagerly awaiting him is that furthering process 
of sanctification. So there's this ongoing sense of sanctification that has a forever <laughs> element. And we see throughout here eternal inherit, inheritance once and for all, for all time, forever, 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 because there is a better covenant that has been given to us as a result of what Christ has done for us. The process of sanctification is something that you, if you are a Christian, participate in. It is not just the Holy Spirit turning gears and making you something, but you are alive. All right, you have a mind that was given to you by your Creator. And then when the Holy Spirit is written on your heart, you partner with Him. You coordinate with Him. You work with Him. You follow Him. You obey Him down the road of further sanctification. And if you don't do that, be warned, the author of Hebrews says. We're not going to unpack that now because that's all before us and there's some more after us. But if you don't listen to the Holy Spirit, the next text that we're going to look at has strong words that say, if you don't listen to the Holy Spirit, then maybe you should question if he's even talking to you. That's a dangerous place to be. I, don't th- I can't imagine a more scary place to be. All right? So there's something that you take steps forward in your sanctification. And the thing is, for Christians, is it's something that listening to the Holy Spirit that you can get better at. You can get better at it. You can practice it. You can be in environments that will enable you to learn more and more about that. It's part of the body of Christ. It's part of community groups. It's part about learning about what the Word says. It's a part about listening to the teaching of the Word by other men before you. It's it's, it's part of confession. It's part of worship that you are further sharpening that knife so it is more and more effective. And you can hear louder and louder and louder the Holy Spirit that leads you to deeper and deeper and deeper levels of holiness. Wayne Grudem talks about sanctification like this. He he says, It is specifically God, the Holy Spirit, who works within us to change us and sanctify us, giving us greater levels of holiness in life. It is the Holy Spirit who produces in us the fruits of the Spirit, whose character traits are part of a greater and greater sanctification. And if... We grow in sanctification as we walk by the Spirit and are led by the Spirit. We are more and more responsive to the desires and the promptings of the Holy Spirit in our life and in our very character. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of holiness, and it produces holiness within us, taking us to greater and greater levels of joy. Because greater and greater levels of God give us greater and greater levels of life and greater and greater levels of blessing unspeakable blessing. If you want peace, you pursue God for more peace. If you want rest, you pursue God for more rest. If you want hope, you pursue God for more hope. This is the path. It is clearly before us, and there is no other way. It's the process of sanctification for the believer. Now, we look at the second clause, all right? So flip back to Hebrews chapter 8. Starts with the second half of verse uh, 10 there, and I will be their God. It says, I will be their God, and they shall be my people, for I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit, all right, there's the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to seal, all right? 
to put a, a, a stamp of possession on the heart of the believer. And what it does is it serves as a guarantee of your, on your soul that says this soul belongs to God. We're going to look at one last text, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This last section was designed to be shorter, so don't think that I have like 20 minutes left. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. This is cool. Man, I struggled with eternal security as a kid. How can I know for sure that my soul is safe? 2 Corinthians 1.21 says, And it is God who established us with you in Christ, and he has anointed us, who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. He has sealed us, And put his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee, saying, I am your God, and you will be my people, and I will remember your sins no more. You don't have to flip there, but Hebrews chapter 10, verse 3, says that when there was a continual offering of of sacrifices for the forgiveness of sin, what, what happened in that was it was a continual reminder of sin. And what God is saying here is when I put my Holy Spirit on you as a seal and as a guarantee forever, that I will remember your sin no more. It is out of the memory of God that he cannot hold it against you. He will not hold it against you. That he has given you himself and he is saying one day I will come again and reclaim mine (laughs) for certain. And you can rest on that. You can find joy in that. You can go back to that. I am his and he is mine. And there is a stamp of God himself in the, in, in, in the Holy Spirit on my life. And I can trust it more than any other. So the author of Hebrews here is saying, listen, there's a new covenant. It is written on your heart. It is the Holy Spirit. You can trust it. You need to listen to it. But it's better than the old way. And there is a stamp and guarantee that seals you forever. Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. May we listen to him. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all, thank you very much. Hope you have a great weekend and maybe even hit the beach on this beautiful day.
because I gotta go to grocery store later on today. <laughs> I think the movie is. Somewhere other than here. Text or email.